0: This is Dollars and Change, a podcast about the intersection of business and social impact, brought
1: to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative. Welcome to Dollars and Change. I'm Katherine Klein. I'm the Vice Dean for Social Impact at Wharton, and I am delighted today to be speaking with Carl Curi and with Russell Diaz Canseco. Carl is the co-founder and partner at Arborview Capital a uh, leading impact investment firm. They are an impact-focused growth equity and venture capital firm, investing in resource efficiency and sustainability, and in Vital Farms. And we'll be talking a lot today about Vital Farms. And um, I'm also joined here with Russell Diaz-Canseco, who is the president and CEO of Vital Farms. Vital Farms is an ethical food company specializing in eggs and butter, um, I'm thinking it's time for scrambled eggs soon, even if it's lunchtime. Uh, Vital Farms is a publicly traded certified B corporation and also a public benefit corporation. Got a lot of uh, attention recently when it IPO'd back in uh, August and, you know, of great interest to those who are particularly interested in impact investing uh, seeing uh, the company uh, have its IPO and do so well. So, Carl, let's let's start with you. Uh, and um, as an investor and a founder of Arborview Capital, tell us uh, how you got involved in impact investing and what you saw in Vital Farms when you made the first investment in the company in 2014.
0: Great. Well, thank you, Catherine, and thank you to Wharton for uh, having me. I would say when my partner, Joe Lipscomb, a proud Wharton alum, and, uh, and I started the firm back in 2008, the entire basis for Arborview Capital was a thematic investment uh, strategy. And we believe that fundamentally, there is a theme, a macro theme toward consumers, businesses, governments, institutions spending their dollars differently in a way that is promoting resource efficiency and sustainability. The car you drive, the clothes you may buy, the lights you're actually installing in your house, the food you consume, we believe is all moving toward a, uh, a, a trend toward resource efficiency and less of an environmental impact. And if you believe that, as an investor, Joe and I felt strongly that not only could we make good investment returns, for our family foundations and endowments, but that we could also promote a much better environmental sustainability and environmental footprint, Uh, almost a double bottom line. So that was the thesis behind Arborview Capital. And we do look for businesses where the revenue growth in that business is driven by these macro themes. Mm -hmm. And when we met Vital Farms, uh, we had never made a food investment in 2014 when we had uh, met and decided to invest in Vital. There were a few things that we loved about it. Um, I actually was already consuming Vital Farms eggs. And as we started to really think about, if you've read The Omnivore's Dilemma 10 years ago, and if you started to consume media and think about your own personal health, whole foods, um, natural foods, and in the case of Vital Farms, um, a movement toward ethical treatment of animals and the production of food that is healthier for your body was something that was appealing to us. As we started to get to know the company and Matt and the management team even better, it was also extremely appealing that they believed wholeheartedly in the stakeholder model and conscious capitalism, which effectively says that you can do great things and build a great business to address those macro themes that we discussed, while also looking out for all of your stakeholders, be they your employees, your vendors, your suppliers, and customers. And so it appealed to us across all the various elements of the stakeholder
1: model. And Russell, um, tell us how you how you found your way to to Vital Farms. Uh, you know what was what was particularly appealing about joining this company in twenty fourteen, and then we'll talk a little bit more about the investment, your investors, and working with impact investors. But we'll start with you are know, what brought you to Vital Farms.
2: Thanks, Catherine. So um, what brought me to Vital Farms was a a, uh, a little bit of soul searching and a a more purposeful career choice than I had made historically. You know, I was, uh, you know, I had been on very much a, a, a little bit of a prescribed path, uh, good grades in high school to get into the right college, good grades in college to get the right job after, et cetera, et cetera. And I think like so many others um, with that kind of background, uh, didn't put as much thought into each career choice, especially as it related to personal values or what I was particularly passionate about the answers seemed to be force- ranked in a sense and you chose the best of the of the options and the and the best was defined more more broadly than perhaps what was uh, uh, personally important to me in 2013 um, I took a different tack um, I'd been traveling a lot for work I had been doing work that I felt was fulfilling but there were some uh Maybe there was a disjointed sense that it, my work wasn't as fulfilling as it could be, especially personally. When I thought about what I was really passionate about, a lot of it revolved around my then six-year-old son Nathan. I'd watched his older sisters grow up on um, public, frankly, a diet, a steady diet of public school education in our neighborhood, at which they excelled, and um, you know what I might describe now as as a little bit more factory food which seemed to serve them well and which I grew up on as well. And, um, we had recently gone on a journey a few years earlier of discovery. We read, uh, Michael Pollan's Omnivore's dilemma. It really affected us and informed us about food systems. We started buying more food at farmer's markets. We sought out farmers that followed the Joel Salatin pastured, uh, method of food production. Um, we started our own organic garden and we started to explore, um, you know, educational options for our son Nathan that would help ensure that he was resilient and a creative problem solver for the world to come in his future. And so, when I decided to to uh, consider a new career choice, I thought about it in terms of what I could do differently for Nathan as my son than any other great dad on our block could do for their kid, his 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 son or daughter. And it boiled down to three things I could be present in his life. For better or for worse, I could be present. And that meant being in Austin. I could help ensure that he had great nutrition, uh, nutrition that hopefully helped avoid some of the health impacts that people are uh, potentially seeing and attributing to food. Um, And I could help ensure he had a great education. So I made a list of companies in Austin that were disrupting factory food and a list of companies in Austin that were disrupting factory education. And I started calling them. And there was this company called Vital Farms here in Austin. At the time, I learned later, I think they were doing about $25 million in revenue. And uh, But they held the promise of bringing a product and a, a way of food production to a national audience that I could only find in a farmer's market. And I had a very strong conviction, even back then, that farmer's markets at the time um, we're a very elite thing to be able to to go to. It's a high search cost thing, and it's a high dollar cost thing. At least it certainly was back in 2013. And so I saw this as an opportunity to democratize better food in this country, and I was really inspired to be a part of that.
1: That's fantastic. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a great story, and it it's a story that that's so important, I think, for for. You know many of our listeners, and certainly for students at Wharton, as they think about navigating their career paths. So, so thank you for that. Um, and then Russell, talk with us about this this transition that the company has gone through. You know, the company for many years uh, working with impact investors, and obviously uh, ArborView as a key uh, investor, and Carl specifically, and then this transition to go public. So, why work with impact investors specifically? And then when and why I say, you know what, it's time to go public.
2: So um, I think, you know, I got here after the very first outside investment occurred in 2013 and, and not long before Carl and Arborview arrived in 2014. So the choice to focus on impact investment was made by our founder uh, and former CEO, Matt O'Hare, who's now our executive chairman. And I think he had the foresight um, in structuring, not just from whom he took capital, but also how often and how much. That um, if if this company was going to be able to remain true to its mission, and and be and be operated for the long haul, as opposed to with a clear liquidity event in mind and an investment thesis behind the actions, it was important that the investors be aligned with the mission, be as patient as possible. Um, and that uh, we take as little, and for the long-term sustainability of the company, we take as little growth capital as we needed to be successful, and that we did our best to remain profitable at every size of the company. So that was the environment in which I walked in. The way I experienced that as, as, as a manager and then an executive at Vital Farms working with a board of impact investors was that. In making that choice early, Matt achieved or set this company up to succeed on its mission. That, um, and you know, Carl has plenty of examples, as do I, of ways in which the specific impact investors we had uh, taken investments from and who were on our board helped us um, make the right decisions over time for the long-term sustainability of the enterprise. And so um, I think in hind- it's hindsight for me... It was absolutely the right approach. I can't take much credit for it.
1: Great, um, and and Carl, um, talk with us about being on the board. You know how you how you worked with Vital Farms and and what this relationship is like, and then this process of becoming you know of becoming a board member first of a of a uh, you know a privately held company on which you were a major investor, and then uh, now on the board of a publicly traded company, you know, the thought process, were you confident all the way along that this was going to be, you know, good for the company and that Vital Farms could indeed maintain its, uh, you know, its commitment to conscious capitalism? Or did this, did this seem like a risky move? What was this like? I
0: think when you when you build a firm to invest in companies that you think are addressing this This form of capitalism, this this newer this new way of thinking about how you can align all interests, I think you're hoping that it's going to go that way um, without question, vital is probably one of the most genuine and authentic stories when it comes to conscious capitalism it's i mean it permeates through the entire organization top to bottom um, so without you know and also without question. Early stage investments when we invested, the company had just done seventeen million dollars of revenue and and to russell's point was headed to twenty seven million. You run into bumps along the way um you know we had an avian flu uh, avian influenza, which we were worried was going to you know potentially impact the company and could you know tear it apart and hurt some family farms, which were vendors. Um, we had uh, you know, the, uh, various times along the way, we had need for capital, we had to build a plant. Russell identified the need to vertically orient the business to make it more resilient and scalable over time. So there were challenges. I will say, I'm not sure that good governance is that much different in everyday business than it is in a, in a stakeholder model and in a public benefit corporation. I think people spend a lot of time worrying about the fact that perhaps you're not looking out for the interests of the shareholders. When I would argue that in the case of uh, Vital Farms as a public benefit corporation, when you look out for all of your stakeholders, you are reducing risks in the supply chain, in the employee base, in ways that make the company more resilient, ultimately more profitable, and stronger in the long run. Now, I will say, You know, something that Russell mentioned before, we knew that this was not going to be a two or three year investment. We knew that Matt did not want this company to be sold in two years. We knew he believed not only in the longer term mission and the opportunity, the growth opportunity, but also in the importance of independence and doing things slightly differently in terms of the long term. That Kind of gets into another question regarding you know being a public company and what is the longer term vision of the company. But I don't know to answer your question um, uh, directly. I don't know that it should be that different um, managing being on a board of a PBC or a stakeholder impact company versus a non uh, uh, B Lab rated company stakeholder company. We are because you would argue that
1: this path. is any any good business should be paying attention to all of its stakeholders.
0: Russell says it often. I've heard it on the roadshow. It's good governance. It's just that we have started to define ways to think about good governance slightly differently than we did 10 years ago.
1: And 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 uh, Russell, building on what uh, Carl just said and uh, the roadshow, the roadshow to, you know, to introduce the company, uh, plan the, the IPO and going public, what was the reception that you found, uh, you know, to, hey, we, you know, We're an egg and butter company that's committed to conscious capitalism out of Austin. I mean, there are some successful examples, of course. Um, But, you know, this is, wait a minute, what is stakeholder capitalism? What is all of this? What are these small farms? And and how were you received in the roadshow?
2: Well, you know, I've never been on one before. So um, I have nothing to compare it to. But my experience was that... um, there are a lot of investors out there representing a lot of capital who are increasingly uh, aware of and interested in placing bets on companies that are doing business a different way. And I think you, you saw evidence of that last year when the Business Roundtable came out and, and promoted the notion of stakeholder capitalism and maybe the end of a commitment to uh, to a shareholder uh, focus uh, to the exclusion of others. So what, what I was pleasantly surprised by, frankly, was um, they, they understood the story. And frankly, that starts with sell-side analysts that you work with before the roadshow, And those analysts really understood the story. So we had already done a lot of work to help make sure that um, the investment community understood what we were about. You know, um, and I think what they heard loud and clear was, this isn't about eggs and butter. This is about an operating system and an ethos. It, it goes back to something that I um, really enjoy um, uh, from Simon Sinek when he talks about starting with why and the mm-hmm. distinction between Apple computers starting with their purpose and ending up talking about computers, and uh, and another computer company that starts up with features and benefits of their computers. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I mean, we're um, we're wired to operate differently. We have different outcomes. For all stakeholders, than other companies that produce the commodities that we happen to produce. But the investment story wasn't about the commodities we produce because so many of them, I mean, if you just looked at it on the economics of producing eggs and butter, we're really expensive at doing a very high cost version of doing that because we make so many choices that are built for the sustainability of all of our stakeholders. Um, so it took, and what's great about that is there's this element of self selection, right? Investors who got it understood the potential of it. Mm-hmm. The investors who looked at us and said, wow, you're kind of like this other company that makes those commodities, but you're much less efficient at it. They, okay. weren't, they weren't appropriate investors. And that was a great choice for them and for us. So I think it was, um, it was successful. It, apparently, I'm told it was successful based on the performance of who bought the stock and then how it performed after the IPO.
0: One of the things I would weigh in there, Catherine, that I think is relevant um, as well to the story of the uh, the initial public offering, we had connected with some uh, board member or two from Beyond Meat uh, a a year ago before we started this process. And one of the things that we learned from them and their process was that there is this unmet uh, uh, supply of capital that has no place to go you know, there are plenty of people who are are becoming public side ESG investors, starting more in Europe, but now in the US as well, dedicated ESG investors, probably outside of the larger platforms. And they are forced to try to find opportunities to put their capital to achieve their returns. And if they're coming back to you know, the Penn endowment and saying that they're just going to continue to invest in Amazon and Apple because they do solar. That is one way of doing it. But, you know, without question, Beyond Meat benefited from this massive total adjustable market and the movement to plant-based. I think what Russell and the management team at Vital Farms saw was this, that that demand is in the marketplace right now. And there just aren't enough companies that are public benefit corporations that actually um, can become pipeline for these investors. So there was a tremendous amount of demand looking for this product.
1: Yeah, I think that's such a fascinating point because, you know, we do a lot of work at Wharton on impact investing. We also do a lot of work on ESG investing, environmental, uh, social, and governance uh, investing. And, you know, and we make a distinction. ESG investing is more focused on public markets. The the impact is is is, is less usually, and, and for many ESG, you know, well-rated uh, ESG companies. And what you're saying is that the ESG investors are really happy to invest in uh, in companies like Vital Farms, where um, you know there may indeed be more to their their commitment to conscious capitalism, ESG, and so on. So very, you know, very interesting, very interesting trend for us to be watching uh, over the coming years. Um, Russell, I want to shift a little bit to just ask you uh, more about what this conscious capitalism and the stakeholder model looks like inside the company. What does this mean? You know, what would we observe at Vital Farms in how you hire, how you promote Um, how you train employees that you think, yeah, you can see our conscious capitalism here. You can see our commitment to stakeholders here. What would you, what would you point us to?
2: Well, so first of all, um, it's, it's interesting. Uh, The company was really founded with this ethos as a part of its DNA. So when I got here in 2014 and I was, you know, it was a very small team at that time, you know, Day one, I was handed this book that's behind me on my bookshelf called Conscious Capitalism. It had been it was signed by the co-author, John Mackey, um, whose initial essay on the topic inspired our founder, Matt O'Hare, to incorporate its concepts right into the founding of the company. So there were immediate there was immediate sort of uh, sense that they were taking this seriously. Um, i you know so many companies have their mission vision values on the wall and you dust them off once a week and nobody can remember what they say uh, and here I, I very quickly observed that there was a common language around it so i would start there that decisions were made through a lens of what are the impacts on all of our stakeholders now it's always been a work in progress and i'd hardly hold us up as as uh, as you know perfect in this regard but but I think the intent has always been there to make sure that uh, we're, we stay true to our mission and to our commitments to our stakeholders. Now, to be more specific about things that you might observe in our company today, um, you, you mentioned specifically people. And, and so while our crew members are one of only five stakeholder groups, I'll focus there. But I'll start by saying that uh, one way that we um, focus our hiring and culture building efforts within the company is we do a lot of education about this whole concept right so so if you're if you're a new crew we call them crew members if, if you're a new crew member to vital farms you're going to learn a lot about the stakeholder model we will have hired you for some specific attributes that we believe lend themselves to operating with stakeholders in mind including you know um, being humble humility um, having an ownership mindset, having a growth mindset and and having very strong um, displaying very strong uh, empathy as four critical elements of being able to work in service of others as opposed to in service of yourself. So we hire for it, right? Um, once you're here, what you'll experience are uh, a few things that I'd call out. first of all, and this was true when I got here, so I can't take any credit for it. Um, we were committed to paying a living wage plus 25% in every community in which we operated. So as a, as our minimum wage. So we use the MIT database and, and we update it every year. And so, you know, in Springfield, Missouri, where the majority of our employees, our crew members work, um, you know, the minimum starting wage today, I believe is a little over $14 an hour. Um, and that's for an hourly job uh, doing physical work right um, we if you are able to work full-time hours which almost all of our crew members are you are immediately a full-time employee with full benefits including paid time off again be- not because we have to do that to be competitive uh, in that labor market but because we do believe that for the enterprise to be sustainable it's got to be sustainable for all the crew members so if if our crew members can't afford to live on the wage we pay them, or if they have financial issues because they got sick and can't work, then we've got turnover, right? So, I mean, it, it's not purely selfless, but it, it actually works. Um, another example would be you know, we feel it's very important in order for our crew members to be empowered, you know, within a framework, empowerment within a framework, uh, they need to be educated about how. Um, work happens, how the company makes money, and how what they do contributes to um, the success of the organization. I think those often come up as key drivers in employee engagement surveys. Like, what, what's important for high engagement? I want to know what the company does. I want to know how what I do, do relates to that. I want to know what the goal is and how I'm doing against the goal. So we uh, tapped into um, a concept in an organization called the Great Game of Business. It happens to have been founded in Springfield, Missouri, where our plant is. and the whole idea is we're going to have an open books approach to management. Every crew member is going to have full access to every line item in our P and l, and they're going to take ownership for a relevant line item and um, they're going to understand how what they do contributes to driving our economic engine and they're going to share. In the gains when they help drive it, um, and and they the, the impact is manifold. Everybody's grown in the right direct in the same direction. Our crew members are more financially literate. Um, I've got one crew member um, who I'm really close with. He's, his name's Cliff, and he's been with us since we started up our plant in Springfield. Um, Cliff is African American. Um, Cliff uh, has grown from being an egg packer to actually being the lead of our shipping and receiving function. So he's got a team of 10 plus people that report into him and, and, and he has really blossomed. And he, he has said that to me, Hey, I feel like uh, my time here has given me a level of stability and personal growth that's allowed me to achieve professional and personal goals. He is in the process of buying his first home. Mm. And uh, he reached out to me uh, uh, the other day um, because the bank needs to know where he got the money that's in his bank account. Our founder at at the IPO gave every one of our crew members $5,000 as a personal gift from him to them as a sign of appreciation. And that in turn directly allowed this guy to buy his very first house. Fantastic. So those would be just a few things I'd call out as the way that we try to empower our people and help really consider them as, frankly, it, within our span of care, right? This, these are personal stories that really get me out of bed in the morning.
1: That's great. Thank you. So, uh, Carl, last question uh, for you, which is just as you reflect on this journey of you know, watching Vital Farms, I'm just curious what you take away, you know, what do you take away either as a leader, an investor, a board member? Lessons learned.
0: Uh, um, well, first of all, I'd say i um, um, so much disappointed that you make me go after Russell gives an impassioned answer like that because it's almost impossible to follow up after that. Um, we believe so thank him, yeah. you, Russell. No, no, I'm just teasing. Um, I will say, Joe has heard me, my partner Joe has heard me say this many times. Not a day goes by where I don't feel so tremendously grateful that I have been affiliated with this institution, with Matt, with mm-hmm. Russell, with all the members of that team with whom I deal. It's a pleasure because you know you're doing business. We are, we, are, we have already made a just an unbelievable return. Um, and the fact that you can actually profit and do well while other people are all doing well within that model is something that makes you proud. I would say, um, so when I go home and I'm sitting, my, my children love to cook. I have three daughters. And they literally crack open Vital Farms butter and make Vital Farms omelets. And we laugh about it because they say, I always have the, the, you know, the shirts on, the hats on, I'm always wearing it and I wear it on my sleeve, but they do too. So it's something that's now embedded in our family. Um, and that is also something that makes me very proud. But I will say that unlike any other business um, that I've invested in over my career 25 years, the lessons that I think I learned from this company And the decisions that I think I've made with their help and as a member of this board make me a better board member and a better father and a better person. And so when we, you know, we just closed a new investment here in DC and another food company and uh, our team, Joe, Carol, and Maggie, they will tell you I am constantly referencing lessons learned and, and thematic elements of the Vital Farm story. So if we take nothing else away from this experience as investors, you know, hopefully you've made friends. You've done wonderful things. You feel good about it, and you make a good profit. It is actually, you know, becoming a. You know, these are all seeds for other companies that where they can learn from Vital Farms, and that makes us better investors, a better firm, and uh, it, it creates a better ecosystem.
1: So thank you so much for both for being with us. This has been just a terrific conversation. Thank you.
0: Thank you, Catherine. Our Thanks. pleasure. Thank you, Catherine. Appreciate it.
1: Dollars and Change is brought to you by the Wharton Social Impact Initiative.
0: To learn more, visit us at socialimpact.wharton.upenn.edu.